Sri Dhammadarjanani by Shivaram Swami Introduction Part 2 The sequence of events leading to the pastime of Mother Yashoda binding Krishna seem to be similar in whichever day of Burma the Lord descends. By his own declaration, Krishna appears in every day of Burma. Sambhavami yuge yuge. I myself appear millennium after millennium. Srimad Bhagavatam describes Krishna's pastimes in this day of the Creator. Just after his birth, Krishna was assailed by Putana, a Rakshasi, and a favorite of Kangsa. But the Lord foiled her plan to poison him, and by the power of his lips, he sucked the life out of she who posed as his nurse. However, in a display of extraordinary kindness, Krishna gave his would-be killer eternal service in the spiritual world as a nurse. Remembering this pastime in Vidura's company, Uddhava was overcome with emotion and cried out in bliss, Alas! Alas! Three joyful months passed wherein the Brajbasis did nothing but speak and think about baby Krishna's sweetness and beauty. And when the Lord first rolled over, Madhya Shoda invited all the subjects to participate in the Uttana festival. At that time, Krishna toppled a cart loaded with Nandamaraja's heirloom utensils, and in the process killed another demon who became known as Shakatasura, the cart demon. Thus Krishna revealed the unlimited power of his lotus feet. Thereafter, Nanda Maharaj became anxious to perform the name-giving ceremony for Krishna and Balarama, the Nama Karana. Just at that time, the great sage Gargamuni appeared to fulfill Nanda's desire. Thus, in the secrecy of a cow-born, accompanied only by family members and the boy's mothers, Nanda Maharaj first heard the name of his son, Krishna. According to the Brahmavarta Purana, a second and public name-giving ceremony was performed in tandem with Krishna's grain-giving ceremony, Anaprasana. This took place on the fourteenth day of the bright fortnight of the month of Magha, which is in January-February. From this time on, the brothers were called by their names, and thus the Sankirtan of Krishna's name resounded throughout Gokula. That transcendental name quickly revealed to Kangsa the death knell of those demons that he had sent to Raj. Hoping against hope, the king dispatched a whirlwind demon, Trinavarta, who took Krishna high into the sky with the intention of dropping him. But the Lord displayed his physical strength, and by invoking a fraction of his limitless weight, he made the demon fall to the earth, where his soul merged into Krishna's effulgence, just as lightning merges into a monsoon cloud. Mother Yashoda and her subjects still failed to recognize Krishna's true identity. Instead, they thought that their past piety and devotion to Lord Narayana had saved his life and saved them from being separated from him. Yet one day, while drinking his mother's breast milk, Krishna yawned, and to her amazement, Yashoda saw the entire universe in her child's mouth. With this display of opulence, Krishna hinted to his mother that it was he who was the cause of victory over the demons. But Madhya Shoda's pure love would not allow her to conceive of such power in her son. Thus, though tested by the Lord, her prema never faltered or waned. To the contrary, it increased. Through his pastime, Krishna repeatedly revealed his awesome potencies, Aishwarya Shakti, but the Brajbasis, like Madhya Shoda, were so overwhelmed by love for him 
that they would not entertain the idea of his godhood. Instead, that it was God who repeatedly saved Krishna from danger. And so with their undiluted piety, they continued to pass his tests with love and set the bar of loving devotion for all devotees for all time. Having thus tilled the fertile soil of the Brajbasti's spontaneous love, Krishna then sowed that soil with many seeds of exceptional pastimes. Day after day those seeds sprouted and to graceful creepers that embraced the nimble tamal sapling of Gokula and quickly flowered to fill the village with enchanting fragrance of their sweetness. Parikshit Maharaj had heard that these nectar-saturated sports of Krishna from his mother Uttara and from his grandfathers, the Pandavas, and he knew well that hearing these pastimes was especially conducive for awakening attachment, ecstasy, and finally love. Shukadev Goswami goes on to say, Gayanti Adyapi Kavayo Ya Loka Samanpaham Krishna's pastimes are so magnanimous and so great that simply chanting about them vanquishes the contamination of the material world. Following these introductory demon-killing pastimes, Krishna became eager to shower his associates with his love, as well as to attract conditioned souls to him. At Balarama's urging, the Lord abandoned his pastime of laying in a cot and rising to his hands and knees and began to crawl here and there. Full of divine energy, the two brothers rambled around the courtyard of Nanda's palace, crawling through the mud and cow dung to the accompaniment of their tinkling anklets and the Gopti's laughter. Although Balaram was a year older than Krishna, they played, ate, and slept together. On the occasion that they agreed to wear clothes, they were similarly dressed, although Balarama would only dress in clothes that bore the color of his brother's complexion. As fearless as lions, the two brothers followed the example of young calves and drank milk directly from the udders of the palace cows. And when the cows' calves tried to assert their own rights, the boys tugged at their tails, resulting in their being dragged through the courtyard. In this way, Krishna and Balaram amused not only themselves, but the residents of Raja. As a result, their antics became the talk of the village and the subject of songs composed by the elderly gopis. When Krishna finally learned to walk, he extended his playground beyond the palace walls to all of Gokul. His entourage from Balaram to the village children and his play from innocent games to childish mischief, and he became famous as Makanachor, the butter thief, because he daily raided the storehouse of the cowherd women with his friends and gorged on the gopis' butter, yogurt, and milk products. The woman of Goku would come to Yashoda to complain of Krishna's antics and openly wonder at how he could disarm them with his smile in the same way that a snake charmer hypnotizes snakes with a mantra. Unable to correct him themselves, the gopis complained to Yashoda. While describing Krishna's mischief in detail, the gopis tasted not only parental love for him, but astonishment at his mysterious powers. And although the women of Raj warn Yashoda that without correction, Krishna would later steal women's wives, Yashoda Devi had no inclination to chastise her son. She would leave such duties to her husband. Nandaraja, however, was equally enchanted by Krishna and had no intention of rebuking his son. Thus Krishna and Balarama roam freely throughout Gokula, unchecked. Then one day, in a new turn of events, Balaram 
and the boys complained about Krishna. Not for stealing milk, but for eating dirt. Krishna knew that the testimony of his brother and friends would greatly alarm his mother. Fearing punishment, he denied all accusations and challenged Yashoda to look into his mouth. Placing Krishna on her lap and grasping his soft chin, Yashoda opened her son's mouth. Before continuing this pastime, let us first study the loving exchange between mother and son as Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur describes it. I have paraphrased the Acharya's words as follows. Madhya showed a scolding of Krishna for eating dirt and his fear of her reprimand are both impetuses for stimulating their mutual love. Krishna could have taken shelter of his divinity, Aishwarya Shakti, and thought, quote, I am God, who can harm me? but that would have impeded his tasting the sweetness of Yashoda's parental love. So he responded to her anger by full absorption and childish fear. The Lord's affection for his devotees, Bhaktavatsalya, by which he succumbs to his devotees' every wish, is his most wonderful and overriding quality. This quality dominates his character more than truthfulness, mercy, and so on. It is the crown jewel of attributes. Yet while Krishna would have to surrender to Mother Yashoda, he still wanted to avoid a thrashing. In order to fulfill these desires, the Aishwarya Shakti manifests the universal form within his mouth to distract Yashoda from the actual issue at hand, Krishna eating dirt. Srila Prabhupada calls the pastime of Krishna eating dirt the most wonderful of his pastimes. Why? Because it demonstrates how pure love overcomes thoughts of divinity, how love convinces Yashoda that Krishna is just her child, and how love's attractiveness induces Krishna to renounce his supremacy. Now let us return to the pastime itself. When Mother Yashoda said, Yadevyam Tarhi Vyadehi, If you have not eaten earth, then open your mouth wide. Submissive Krishna complied. Then, within the Lord's mouth, Mother Yashoda saw the same universal form that Arjuna would later see on the battlefield. The universe that was simultaneously inside and outside Krishna's form. In addition, Mother Yashoda saw herself and Krishna within the universe in his mouth and was so witnessing to both his limited and unlimited natures. Although this vision may have been attractive to devotees who worship Krishna with reverence, the Shantabhaktas, it did not appeal to Yashoda's exalted maternal sentiments. The scene before her, indeed, the entire event, was so inconceivable that she became bewildered and wondered in many ways. Unable to come to a conclusion as to the real cause of what she was seeing, Mother Yashoda simply surrendered to the Supreme Lord. In her prayer she reasoned like a materialist who temporarily gives up family and possessions due to a fleeting spiritual impulse. When Krishna sensed that his mother was thinking of renouncing her everything, including him, in a mood of a protected child, he worried, quote, Then who will nurse me? Who will look after me? Understanding the Lord's concern, Yogamaya immediately expanded her influence on Madhya Shoda. Just as upon awakening, one quickly forgets a dream, Queen Yashoda immediately forgot her philosophical outlook as well as her vision of the universe. Freed from all awareness of the Lord's majesty, her affection unfettered once again. Yashoda lifted Krishna to her lap, hugged him, and lovingly smelled his head. By these acts, her unfathomable love became deeper. In the words of Shukadeva Goswami, Mother Yashoda was feeling increased affection for Krishna. 
Pravidha Sneha Kalila Hridaya. Unable to contain his admiration for Mother Yashoda, Shukadev Goswami rose slightly from his seat and leaning forward to Prikshitmara said, Chaya Chopanishad Bhishcha Shanka Yogascha Satvatai Upagiyamana Mahatmayam Hari Samam Yatan Atmajam Quote, The glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead are studied throughout the three Vedas, the Upanishads, the literatures of Sankhya Yoga, and other Vaishnava literature. Yet Mother Yashoda considered that Supreme Person her ordinary child. This verse, which is the Paribhasha Sutra, or the regulatory verse of Krishna's tenth canto pastimes, shows the extraordinary spiritual status of Mother Yashoda and of the Vrajbhasis. Where fruitive workers, learned philosophers, mystic yogis, and even great devotees fail to fully understand that Krishna is the goal of the Vedas, by her great love, Mother Yashoda placed that same Supreme Personality of Godhead so much in her debt that he agreed to become her son. Sharing his spiritual master's feeling of wonder, Parikshit Maharaj inquired how Madhya Shoda and Nandamaraj came to a transcendental position that surpassed even that of Vasudev and Devaki. The king said, quote, O learned Brahmana, Madhya Shoda's breast milk was sucked by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. What past auspicious activities did she and Nandamaraj perform to achieve such perfection and ecstatic love. Although Krishna was so pleased with Vasudeva and Devaki that he descended as their son, they could not enjoy Krishna's magnanimous childhood pastimes, which are so great that simply chanting about them vanquishes the contamination of the material world. Nanamaraj and Yashodo, however, enjoyed these pastimes fully, and therefore their position is always better than that of Vasudev and Devaki. A learned devotee in his own right, Pariksha Maharaj, knew that the practitioners cannot become Krishna's parents. Still, he placed this question to Shukadev Goswami, which in essence said, quote, Did some devotees who were perfected through practice become Nanda and Yashoda? Because the answer to this question illuminates the eternal loving relationship between Mother Yashoda and Krishna, I shall now describe how Krishna's parents appeared on earth, making reference to Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Prabhupada's purports, and the commentaries of other Acharyas. In answer to Maharaj Prikshit, Shukadev Goswami narrated the story of Vasudrona and his wife Dara who by the blessings of Lord Brahma appeared as Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Devi in Rajbhumi. This pastime is described in Srimad Bhagavatam 10.848-51. The implication of Shukadev Goswami is that two demigods became parents of Krishna. How is this to be understood? Did Drona and Dara actually attained a perfection that enabled them to become Krishna's parents? That is certainly not the opinion of the Acharyas. For example, Vishnat Chakravati Thakur says, Because Krishna's appearance and childhood pastimes are eternal, Nanda and Yashoda should also be Nityasiddha, eternally liberated associates of the Lord. And Srila Prabhupada comments, quote, Whenever Krishna descends, Nanda and Yashoda, as well as Vasudev and Devaki, also descend as the Lord's father and mother. Their personalities are expansions of Krishna's personal body. They are not ordinary living beings. End quote. Is there, though, clear indication from Srimad Bhagavatam that confirms the Acharya's statements and also resolves the conflicting view implied? by its own narration of Drona and Dara's history, which concludes with the words, quote, When Brahma said, Yes, let it be so, the most fortunate Drona, who was equal to Bhagavan, appeared in Rajpura, Vrindavan, 
as the famous Nanamarish and his wife Dara appeared as Mother Yashoda. Yes, there is. In his Sri Bhakti Sandharva, Jiva Goswami shows just how Shukadeva Goswami later clarifies things in the Bhagavatam. Describing Krishna's pastimes further, Shukadeva Goswami elaborates on his previous answer to Pariksha Maharaj's question to stress that Nanda and Yashoda's parenthood is eternal. Srimad Bhagavatam 9.21 says, Nayam Sukapo Bhagavan Dehinam Gopika Sutta Gyaninam Chatmanam Bhutanam Yata Bhakti Matam Maha Quote, The Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, the son of Madhyashoda, is accessible to devotees engaged in spontaneous loving service. But he is not as easily accessible to mental speculators, to those striving for self-realization by severe austerities and penances, or to those who consider the body the same as the self. According to Jiva Goswami, the above verse rules out the possibility that someone can become Krishna's mother by the practice of any spiritual discipline. Furthermore, the phrase Gopika Sutaha, the son of Mother Yashoda, clearly indicates that there is an eternal relationship that already exists between Krishna and Mother Yashoda. In his purport, Srila Prabhupada confirms this understanding. Quote, Mother Yashoda, Krishna's friends, and the younger gopis with whom he dances, have very intimate relationships with Krishna. These devotees, the Nityasiddha expansions of Krishna, always remain with Krishna. Shukadeva Goswami's elaboration in the verse 10.9.21 thus gives a second answer to the king's original question. Now he says that Krishna's parents descended in their original forms directly from Aprakata Vraja to Prakata Vraja. Now we have two answers to the question. Why d- what did Nandamar what did Nanda and Yashoda do to become Krishna's parents? The first is that the demigods Drona and Dara received Brahma's blessing, and the second is that they did not have to do anything, for Nanda and Yashoda are Krishna's eternal associates. How can these seemingly contradictory answers be reconciled? Srila Jiva Goswami reconciles them by stating quote, if there are two contradictory statements in Scripture, the first statement should be interpreted so that it does not contradict the later statement. This rule of interpretation is expressed in the Vedanta Sutra 2.117. Applying this axiom to the example under discussion, Jiva argues that Shukadeva's first statement, that Drona and Dara were demigods, must be seen in the light of the second statement that no one can become Krishna's parents, for Nanda and Yashoda are eternally so. The conclusion Sri Jiva draws is that Drona and Dara must have already been Nanda and Yashoda, but they could have only been partial expansions given their status as demigods. Since Drona and Dara were already expansions of Krishna's parents, Brahma's blessings must have been a fulfillment of prophecy rather than an independent boon. In light of Jiva Goswami's conclusion, let us now paraphrase the narration of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Quote, Once the partial expansions of Nanda and Yashoda, who were Krishna's eternal parents, appeared in Swarga as the demigods, Drona and Tara. Drona was one of the eight Vasus, and, as a great devotee of Lord Vishnu, he ruled the kingdom in heaven. Because they were childless, Drona and Dhara went to Mount Mandara and implored Lord Brahma to give them the Supreme Lord as their son. When Lord, Bra- Lord Brahma smiled and assured them that the desire would be fulfilled. When the time came for Krishna's Prakatalila on earth, 
Drona and Dara appeared in Gokula in accordance with their previous desire. However, Krishna's eternal parents, Nanda Maharaj and Yamada Yashoda, who were the original counter-holes of Drona and Dara, also appeared in Prakatavraja, as they always do upon Krishna's descent. Thus, Drona entered the body of Nanda Maharaj and Dara entered the body of Yashoda Devi. In this way, when Krishna was finally born, Drona and Dara were able to share the bliss of being his parents. This explanation fully reconciles the two statements of Shukadeva Goswami and is consistent with the understanding of Rupa, Sanatana, and Jiva Goswamis. Nandamaraj and Yashoda Devi were fortunate enough to enjoy the childhood pastimes of Krishna in his Prakata Lila, where the combined form of two sets of personalities, the original parents of Krishna from Goloka, Nanda and Yashoda, as well as the partial expansions of those same personalities from Svarga, Drona and Tara. Sanatana Goswami describes the underlying principle of this event in this way. Quote, and just as the incarnations of Krishna, the source of all incarnations are now and just as the incarnations of Krishna, the source of all incarnations are diff, are are non-different from him. The incarnations of the Goloka Vasis, the residents of Goloka, are non-different from them. The Goloka Vasis are born sometimes as partial expansions and sometimes as their full selves. Like Krishna, they vary their appearance from the time, place, and need. Thus Krishna's companions, impelled by their own moods of loving exchange, from time to time want to descend somewhere with their Lord. When devotees who live with Krishna and Goloka appear to merge on some pretext into their own expanded incarnations, this is just like the merging of Krishna's expansions with him. When the sages tell us, therefore, that the expansions of Krishna's associates descend to become the original associates, what they mean is that the expansions merge into the originals. In the same Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Sanatana Goswami directly describes the identity of Krishna's parents. Quote, in Goloka, Nanda Maharaja eternally serves Krishna in the role of father. So when Krishna plans to descend to earth to display childhood pastimes, Nanda is naturally attracted to come with him. By Krishna's arrangement, Lord Brahma then blesses Nanda's partial expansion, Vasudrona, to attain perfect devotion for Vishnu. Of course, this blessing is only a pretext because Drona is already an expansion of Krishna's eternal associate. Yet on the strength of that blessing, Drona merges into the original Nanda Maharaj and joins the entourage of Krishna's avatara. It is in this sense that the Puranas tell us, quote, Drona became Nanda. This explanation also reconciles the account in the Padma Purana, Kartik Mahatmya, of Sri Radha's previous lives. Attracted to descend from Goloka for the service of her worshipful Lord, who was more attractive than millions of cupids she incarnated in those various births in various forms and places. Certain questions naturally arise in the course of the above explanation. 1. What order Brahma, Karishyamana, Adeshan, Brahmanaha, did Drona and Dara accept on their heads before requesting the boon of parenthood of the Lord? 2. When Brahma says, Let it be so, it appears that he is blessing Drona and Dara with the prema by which Krishna becomes their son. Or is he? 3. Vishwanath Chakavati Thakur says that the two Vasus performed pure sadhana and prayed for loving devotion. However, we have just shown that they already had loving devotion to which 
Sri Jiva adds that they never performed any devotional service to become parents. What does Chakravati Thakur mean? 4. Parikshit Maharaj says that Drona and Dara were more fortunate than Vasudev and Devaki. Are Vasudev and Devaki eternal parents of the Lord? 5. Of the two sets of parents, Drona and Dara, and Vasudev and Devaki, which are actually the parents of Krishna? 6. Were there some other Rajvasis, also eternal associates of Krishna? 7. What is the Paribhasha Sutra referred to earlier in the introduction? 8. How does Srimad Bhagavatam 10.845 as the Paribhasa Sutra regulate the pastime of the 10th canto? I shall answer the question above, prefixing each answer with the corresponding question. 1. Question. What order of Brahma, Krishyamana, Adeshan, Abrahmanas? Did Drona and Dara accept on their heads before requesting the boon of parenthood of the Lord? Answer. When the demigods assembled on the shore of the milk ocean to beg the Lord for his protection, Lord Brahma, Shirodakshai Vishnu's via medium to the Devas, relayed the Lord's order in this way. Quote, for as long as the Lord moves on earth to diminish its burden by his own potency in the form of time, all of you demigods should appear through plenary portions as sons and grandsons in the family of the Yadus. Having rece- received this order, Drona and Dara then asked Lord Brahma for the fulfillment of their desire. 2. Question. When Brahma says, Let it be so. It appears that he is blessing Drona and Dara with the prema by which Krishna becomes their son, or is he? Answer. Brahma cannot bless Drona and Dara with that which he does not have, Braj Prema, and which he is seen to be praying for later in the Srimad Bhagavatam 10.14.34. Quote, My greatest possible good fortune would be to take any birth whatever, in this forest of Gokula, and have my head bathed by the dust falling from the lotus feet of any of its residents. Jiva Goswami explains that Krishna arranged for the Vasus to receive this benediction to emphasize that attaining his association is not an ordinary event. Chakravati Thakur also says that Krishna appeared to reciprocate with the love of his associates, and so incidentally fulfilled Brahma's boon. In considering Brahma's blessing, we should remember Shukadeva Goswami's assertion that Krishna's parents are spiritually superior not only to the Creator, but even the more exalted Shiva and Lakshmi. Quote, Neither Lord Brahma, nor Lord Shiva, nor even the Goddess of Fortune who is always the better half of the Supreme Lord, can attain from the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the deliverer from th- this material world, such mercy as received by Madhya Shoda. This confirms that Brahma's boon is not the cause of Drona and Dara's fortune, but simply a semblance of the same and a scene in Krishna's pastime. 3. Question. Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur says that the two Vasus performed pure sadhana and prayed for loving devotion. However, we have just shown that they already had loving devotion to which Sri Jiva adds that they never performed any devotional service to become parents. What does Chakravati Thakur mean? Answer. Jiva Goswami makes the emphatic statement that, quote, no Vedic literature says that Drona and Dara perform great devotional service to the Lord to make themselves eligible to become his parents. Chakravati Thakur, however, writes, quote, In this way, Drona and Dara performed pure sadhana and prayed for pure prema bhakti. 
considering Chakravati Thakur's statement in view of Jiva's opinion and other scriptural evidence, as well as all other evidence that Drona and Dara are eternally parents of the Lord, we must take it that Drona and Dara's sadhana and prayers were a pastime, but not the actual cause of their parenthood. It was, quote, pure, because they were already pure, being expansions of Nanda and Yashoda. 4. Parikshit Maharaj says that Drona and Dara were more fortunate than Vasudev and Devaki. Are Vasudev and Devaki also eternal parents of the Lord? As an introduction to the answer of who are the actual parents of Krishna, we should briefly review the history of Vasudev and Devaki as we did with Nanda and Yashoda. When Krishna appeared in the prison of Kangsa to Vasudev and Devaki, he did so in his opulent Vishnu form and reminded his parents that their previous birth as the progenitors, Sutapa and Prishni, respectively. In his purport to Srimad Bhagavatam 10.332, Srila Prabhupada urges us to understand as to understand well the details involving Krishna's birth, as does Krishna himself with the words Janmakarma Chame Divyam Evam Yovetitatvataha. In the same purport, Srila Prabhupada also asserts that Devaki and Vasudev are Krishna's eternal parents, which Chakravati Thakur confirms in his commentary to a later verse, adding that Prishni and Sutapa are their partial expansions. Thus their identities as Prishni and Sutapa very much mirrors the identities of Drona and Dara. Both are expansions in heaven of Krishna's eternal Goloka parental associates. The Lord further narrates that under the order of Rama, Prishni and Sutapa perform austerities to produce offspring. And when the Lord appeared before them to offer them a boon, they requested a child like him. In answer to their request, the Lord became the son of Prishni and Sutapa in their three incarnations as Prishni Garba to Prishni and Sutapa, as Vamana to Kashapa and Aditi, and finally as Vasudev to Vasudev and Devaki. Thus we see that Vasudev and Devaki are also the Lord's eternal parents, and whatever austerities they underwent as Prishni and Sutapa were simply expressions of their eternal love for the Lord and not the cause of getting the Lord as their son. 5. Of the two sets of parents, Drona and Dara, and Vasudeva and Devaki, which are the actual parents of the Lord? Studying the statements of Srimad Bhagavatam and those of the Acharyas, it is clear that Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda are Vrindavan, Krishna's eternal parents, while Vasudeva and Devaki are Vasudeva Krishna eternal parents. One may argue, quote, Srimad Bhagavatam clearly states that Krishna took birth from Devaki and Vasudev, and Nanda and Ashoda are his adoptive parents. This argument, however, is superficial and ignores many other statements of Srimad Bhagavatam of its commentators, as well as the eternal principle of spiritual taste, rasa. In this introduction, we have already shown that Krishna was not born only to Devaki, but simultaneously to Yashoda. Thus both uh, are parents. But Yashoda is the mother of Swayam Bhagavan, the original personality of Godhead. There is a difference between the two sets of parents, a difference that was already well known to Prakshamaraj, who said of Nanda and Yashoda, their position was always better than that of Vasudeva and Devaki. The reason given by the king was that Vasudeva and Devaki could not enjoy Krishna's childhood pastimes in Raj. Why not? Because aside from their being confined to Kamsa's prison, even if they did go to Gokula, the love of Vasudeva and Devaki, being mixed with knowledge of Krishna's divinity, would have been out of place in Raj and unable to fully appreciate the childish nature of Krishna's pranks. Furthermore, his glorification of Yashoda, binding Krishna, 
Shukadev Goswami's calls the Lord Gopika Sutta, the son of Madhya Shoda. Jiva Goswami points out that the unarguable meaning of Gopika Sutta is that Krishna is the eternal son of Nanda and Yashoda. Srila Prabhupada's own Bhagavatam translation of Gopika Sutta makes the same point. Quote, Krishna the son of Madhya Shoda. Brackets, it says, Krishna as the son of Vasudeva is called Vasudeva, and as the son of Madhya Shoda, he is known as Krishna. End quote. The final and perhaps the most compelling argument is given by Jiva Goswami. The Acharya argues that the strength of parental love and not the act of birthing is what defines someone as a parent. Since Parikshit Maharaj and Sukadev Goswami have already confirmed that Madhyashoda's love surpassed that of Devaki's, we must conclude that Yashoda and Nanda are the Lord's eternal parents. Love is the fundamental element of spiritual mellows, rasa, and it is the, on the basis of love that relationship with Krishna is established. 6. Were some of the other Rajvasis also eternal associates of Krishna? Concluding on the appearance of Drona and Dara as Krishna's parents, Shukadeva Goswami says, Tato Bhaktir Bhagavati Putre Bhute Janardane Dampatayor Nitayaram Asid Gopi Gopi Shubharata. Thereafter, O Maharaj Prikshit, best of the Bharatas, when the Supreme Personality of Godhead became the son of Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda, they maintained continuous, unswerving devotional love in parental affection. And in their association, all the other inhabitants of Vrindavan, the Gopas and Gopis, developed the culture of Krishna Bhakti. End quote. In his commentary to this verse, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur writes, It is understood from this that some of the gopis and gopas had also practiced bhakti like Drona and Dara in their previous lives. In other words, some of the Brajvasis were also eternal associates of the Lord. This fact is well known and described in both scriptures and by Acharyas. When the Lord appears on earth, his associates are from a variety of sources. They are eternal associates, demigods, and perfected practitioners. For those inhabitants of the material world who are worthy of it, Krishna gives them the opportunity to associate with his associates and so enter the circle of his confidants. For his eternal associates, Krishna gives the opportunity to further intensify their love for him as he intensifies his love for them. The answer to the last two questions relating to the 10th canto, Paribhasha Sutra, are extremely significant. In addition to glorifying the loving devotion of Madhya Shoda, they also establish that her kind of devotion, Braj Bhakti, spontaneous loving devotion, is the ultimate spiritual attainment and it is the only means to bring the Supreme Personality of Godhead under control. Let us first understand the relevance to and the importance of scripture of the Paribhasa Sutra. 7. What is the Paribhasa Sutra referred to earlier in the introduction? In his Harinamrita Vyakaran, Jiva Goswami defines the Paribhasha Sutra in this way. Aniyame niyama karini paribhasa. A paribhasa sutra implies a rule or theme where it is not explicitly stated. In the Sri Krishna Sandharva, he elaborates on that definition further, writing, A paribhasha sutra explains the proper method for understanding a book. It gives a key by which one may understand the actual purport of a series of apparently unrelated facts and arguments. Similarly, in commenting 
on Srimad Bhagavatam 1.3.28, Vishnath Chakravati Thakur cites an unreferenced authority. Paribhasa Hyeka Deshartha Sakalam Shastram Abhi Prakashyati Tatha Vishma Pradipa. Quote, the Paribhasa statement, situated in one's place, lights up the whole scripture, just as a lamp lights up the whole house. And finally, in his Yajna Paribhasa Sutras, the sage Apastambha designates Paribhasa as a general rule or definition that is applicable throughout a text or a practice and is more binding than any other rule. To be more specific, he writes, Paritaha Pramiktarkashapi Sarvam Vishayam Praptavali Gata Pratishtam Nakalu Pratihanyate Kutakskit Paribhasheva Garishasa Yadagya Quote Paribhasha, also known as Samanya, is like the order of a king, which when spread throughout the kingdom and being most weighty, is never disobeyed by anyone, be it by the king's minister or a serf. The use of Paribhasha, either in sutra or other form, dates back to the Rig Veda. For example, in the index to the Rig Veda, there are general rules that state if no deity is mentioned in the text hymns, then one should petition Indra. And when no meter is prescribed, one should sing Trishtub. Later texts also make use of the Paribhasha. Authorities, including Jiva Goswami, identify the verse vipratishedhe paramkaryam as the paribhasa sutra that governs Panini's ashtadhyayi in its entirety. The verse says, quote, when there is incompatibility in brackets, between two rules which can equally apply in a given domain, and bracket, what is provided by the subsequent rule should be follows, end quote. Since Srimad Bhagavatam 10.8.45 is the Paribhasha Sutra for the 10th canto and directs our understanding to the supreme mellows underlying Krishna's pastimes, its influence can be better understood by studying the Paribhasha Sutra that governs the, over the entire Srimad Bhagavatam, verse 1.3.28. Below. This Paribhasha establishes Krishna's identity as a Supreme Personality of Godhead, overriding and clarifying any statement that appears to profess the contrary. In the first chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam, sages headed by Shanakarishi place questions before their guru, Sutta Goswami, who in the second chapter describes the process of devotional service, and in the third, the incarnations of the Lord, listing many kinds of incarnations he also includes Krishna and Balaram. But when he concludes his description, Shuka makes a very specific distinction between Krishna and other incarnations. He says, Etechamsa kalapunsa krishnastu bhagavan swayam vakalam lokam midayanti yuge yuge all the above-mentioned incarnations are either plenary portions or portions of the plenary portions of the Lord. But, Lord Sri Krishna is the original personality of Godhead. All of them appear on planets wherever there is a disturbance created by the atheists. The Lord incarnates to protect the theists. Because this verse is at the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam, because it directly describes the relationship between Krishna and his incarnations, and because it defines what should be known to properly understand the rest of the texts, it is the Paribhasha Sutra of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Vishnu Chakravati Thakur cites the sage Jamini to substantiate that other statements in the Bhagavatam, 
or any other scripture for that matter, which appear to contradict this Paribhasha Sutra, should be explained so that they are in agreement with it. Why? Because none of those statements, in brackets, as we shall see from some examples to follow, and bracket, are as direct contextually or in the context as it is the Paribhasha Sutra. It is said, Shruti, Linga, Vakya, Prakarana, Sthana, Samakyanam, Samavaye, Pradharbhyalam, Artha, Viprakarshad. End quote. Quote, when there is a combination of direct statements, inference, rules, discussions, philosophical stances, and interpretations, the later statements are considered progressively weaker in authority because of the possibility of their having contrary meanings. Thus, the rule of thumb is, because a party basha shutra statement is strong, whereas those contrary statements weak, the latter should be harmonized to be compatible with the former. One may wonder why, if this verse is so important, it is not repeated elsewhere in Srimad Bhagavatam. The answer is that, just as a single king rules an unlimited number of subjects from his palace, the one Paribhasa Sutra rules over all other verses of the Srimad Bhagavatam without need of another. Someone may object that other scriptures, most prominent which are Shruti, describe the Absolute Truth as impersonal, meaning not being Krishna. For example, the Upanishads say, Idam sarvam yad ayam atma, quote, everything that exists is nothing but the Supreme Self. To answer the challenge of the Vedic statements outside of the texts of the Srimad Bhagavatam, statements which describe the absolute truth in ways that are either personal or impersonal, or as someone or something other than Krishna, we must first study all Vedic scriptures to see which is most authoritative. In his Tattva Sandarbha, Jiva Goswami has conducted such a study and has done so exhaustively. The result was to conclude that the Srimad Bhagavatam is the emperor of all scriptures and so the topmost spiritual authority. We Gaudiya Vaishnavas accept that. The consequence of such a conclusion is that every other scripture statement must therefore conform to the version of Srimad Bhagavatam. So when Srimad Bhagavatam says, Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam, quote, Krishna is the absolute truth, the supreme personality of Godhead, then other contrary or obscure statements regarding the absolute truth must be interpreted to also mean Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Therefore, the Upanishadic statement above should be understood to mean everything that exists is nothing but the energy, the Supreme Self, Sri Krishna. <laughs> 